crossroads. It's a rainy day, right? But it's okay. Because <laughs> we still come in here to bless the Lord, right? Um, so welcome to all my online people. Um, glad you can join in on us, even though you're not physically here. Um, but for those of us that are here, make sure if you have your kids, you know, you check them in, get your badges so that you can get back up. <laughs> And if you're not the person that's picking them up, make sure they have the badge so that the people upstairs will know that it's okay for them to be with you, okay? Otherwise, you might have to come back downstairs and get checked. <laughs> All right. Um, and if you're going to be at home and you're taking communion, make sure you go get the elements that you're going to use. Um, and for those of us here, we will do it here. There are, um, I want to say communion in the back, too, if you don't want to um, partake in this type of communion. last Passover meal, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and sharing it with his disciples said, take, eat, this bread is my being, a being for all. After supper, Christ took the cup. He gave thanks and invited them to share his life, being poured out for the new way of forgiveness. We rejoice that we also stand in the tradition of Christ's resurrection meals, meals of mystery and presence, meals of fulfillment and anticipation, meals of the Spirit's empowering love. All these things we remember with joy as we will take this bread and this cup, thankfully sharing in response to Christ's invitation. We come to your table. Desiring a conversation. Into this bread and cup we pour all our joys and all our suffering. Our hunger, our satisfaction, our doubt, and revelation. All beauty and all frustration. May these gifts sum up the whole human experience. All of our extremes offered to you for redemption in Christ Jesus. Generous God, we ask that you would pour into this bread and this cup everything of yourself, everything we see in your son Jesus as our eternal sustenance. Every word you speak summed up in him and spoken to the deepest part of the human experience by his Holy Spirit. These gifts of God are for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We remember your hospitality at the table, Lord, your unconditional love at the cross, the power of your resurrection. Jesus, we remember you. You're welcome to say these words with us. Jesus, we remember you. So with that, you are welcome to come to the table. Thank you. Lord, we lift up our prayers to you today. We 
pray for Trisha for complete healing of the cancer and prayers for my precious family and for my dad. Pray that Kirsten and Roy would have safe travels. We pray for our friend Pam battling some serious health issues and for Deb, Nate, Jeff, Abigail, and Lynn. We pray um, for the person wishing that their dad could come here instead of having to go to work on Sunday mornings. Would you make that possible? Prayers for our Snyder family and all who loved our Jack Snyder. Prayers for everyone that has lost a loved one. Heal their hearts. We pray for Justin, Nicole, and Corbin to be healthy and safe. Prayers for stress, anxiety, and depression, Lord. Would you heal those who need it? Dear God, place your hands on family and friends facing addiction. Please free their souls and lead them into your arms of peace. We pray for our families, for their health and for their happiness. God, you lead us um, into pleasant places. For my husband, David, for complete healing throughout his body and mind. Guidance for the words to be spoken from your heart. Continued prayers for Joe. Prayers for our grandson, Cody, leaving today for the State of Michigan Corrections Academy. Prayers for everyone suffering with addiction and anxiety. Prayers for Amber Griffin's mom and kids. Heal their hearts, O oh Lord. Prayers for our Bobby Sims and all who loved him. God, we thank you um, that you care for the prayers of all of our people, that you hold our needs and our desires in your hands. And God, we trust them there. And God, we are so grateful to hold them together as a congregation today listening to the needs and the desires we share as your people. Amen. Amen. And we know that together uh, God is speaking to us. The ways that God loves us, the way that God is helping us to grow, the ways that God is helping us to transform, and the way that God loves us right where we are. So God, we thank you and we pray that our hearts and our minds, that our ears would be open to the continued work that you're doing in us, both in the message, in the songs we sing, in the prayers we continue to pray, and even as we give into the offering. So God, we're grateful for the work that you're doing in us, through us, and throughout this region. We thank you, God. And we know, uh, brothers and sisters, the ways even that um, Pastor Scott and so many folks this last few weeks have been talking about the needs of our community, the needs of food pantry, the needs of, of all the people in our region. And so we give, and when we give, we give as an act of worship, not because we feel that we have to, or because it's any kind of commandment that any of us puts upon one another, but because we know that as we give, that amazing things happen. We know that children and adults are fed, that, that children are taught, that the work of the gospel continues to move forward. So let's pray together 
pray together for this offering. Pray together for our children as they go up to kids' church. Pray together for all that we know that God is about to do in and through us. So, God, we pray with grateful, thankful hearts for this offering today. And, God, we give knowing that you do so much more than we could ever imagine, hope, or dream of, not only in our offering, but with our hearts that are set on the things of you. And, God, so we give today um, knowing that you are doing just amazing work in this region and throughout the world, oh, God. And we pray for our kids, and we're grateful, God, that they are learning about your love. And they're learning about ways that they can transform their world, their world that's in their house, on their block, in their schools, and the whole world. So, God, we pray that you would expand their hearts and expand our hearts today, both as we give and as the kids go upstairs to kids' church. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we all pray. And let's all say together, amen. storytelling here with your next steps news and so we wanted to let you know this morning that if you're new we would love to connect with you there's going to be someone at the kiosk um, over there if you're new and in the room who would love to give you a free gift who would love to connect Um, and if you're new to crossroads this summer we are talking about relationships Um, and relationships are something that we really care about here at crossroads we feel like it's key to the philosophy of what jesus taught are key to the way that we love one another. Um, So our sermon series, our messages are going to be how can we remain in the love of God that overflows into our relationships. But we also have opportunities to be great together um, and to find new relationships here at Crossroads. So um, we wanted to highlight some opportunities that are coming up to connect with some new people in the church. Um, And so far these events have been so fun. Tuesday night, we were at Ed and Sandra Vance's on the lake, um, on the boat, with people we didn't know very well, and the way that you get to know someone in their home, the way that you get to know someone when they are being hospitable, the way we got to know John and Nancy as they loved kids that weren't even theirs <laughs> was beautiful, and so um, we would just invite you to connect in an easier way this summer, right? Sometimes joining a group can be intimidating. There are lots of steps you can take, um, but if you have time join us for one event this summer. Um, we know that you're going to love the people you meet. Um, and we hope that if you're new, that you feel um, the joy of the relationships that we have with one another here at Crossroads. Um, what's the next slide? Oh, sponsor our food pantry. So um, Scott has been talking a little bit about how the rising food costs have put pressure on our food pantry. And this um, last month, our food pantry was bigger than ever. We Like, not ever, but in the last year since COVID,
provide some additional school supplies for them because it's a lot cheaper to buy school supplies here in the United States. But right now, it is not safe to ship things to Haiti. Um, it is really dangerous to ship things in, things in and pastors have been targeted in Haiti um, that when things are shipped in, um, some of the um, not good leadership has been claiming that they're shipping in weapons or dangerous things. And so um, it has actually led to um, some really violent crimes against pastors. And so this year in solidi solidarity with our Haiti School Boxes Project and with our partners in Haiti, we still want to pray and we want to think about um, the boys and girls returning to school in Haiti. Um, we want to think about the conditions that are making it unsafe for them to return to school. Um, last year when the school started, there were very few kids whose parents actually felt safe enough to let them walk to school. And so if you would join us in prayer for these kids, um, and just consider giving to these kids. Um, we can still send money down there for them to buy school supplies. We have a few extra left over from your generosity in past years. Um, but supporting Haiti is as important as ever as they face so much opposition. And God, we pray that you would continue to meet the needs in Haiti. God, we can't imagine, um, at least I cannot imagine, many of some of us have been, but I can't imagine living in so, God, we pray um, that you would do what only you can do to bring peace. God, we pray that this time next year we would be having a different conversation um, and there would be a different situation where it is safe to ship um, the things that the kids in Haiti need. But, God, we rely on you and know that you work um, through the hands of these things now in Haiti. We ask you to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, right before the message, we're going to transition to a video. We've been showing videos, trying to get just as many people um, and voices sharing about their relationships here at Crossroads um, so that you can feel comfortable telling your story as well. So we're going to hear from Maya Scalf, who is an eighth grader here at Crossroads. Hi, my name is Maya. I am starting eighth grade in the fall, and I have been attending Crossroads for a little over a year now. Um, I regularly as regularly as possible, at least, um, attend all the youth group events, or the middle school specific events um, through Crossroads. I go to as many girls groups as possible. I attend all the group drives. Um, I just recently did a Craig's Cruisers trip with um, Crossroads, which was so fun. Uh, I think my favorite event was probably Spring Hill. It was a weekend overnight camp, and I basically got to go to an overnight camp and with Pastor Stacy and um, anyone else who decided to come. And it was really just an awesome, awesome way to, you know, get to know myself and get to know everyone else around me more. Um, I've made so many great friends um, through Crossroads. It's really just become my safe space in a way. Um, uh, it's really just a way and a place where I can go to like not feel judged and just be myself truly and just have a nice free space to go to and just have something to look forward to in general. Um, I have also gained a really great, awesome relationship with Pastor Stacy. 
Um, I look a lot. I look up to her a lot. She has been a big help to me through everything, and just I've gotten to know her so much this past year. She's such an awesome person, and so as everyone else that attends all these groups. I just I'm so thankful to be able to be a part of this youth group and just be a part of this church in general, and just like I said, have that safe space and yeah, but. That's my experience, and I definitely recommend to any other middle schoolers that go to this church, if they don't already, go to the youth groups. They are honestly amazing. It's such an amazing group of people. Everyone is so amazing, so kind. It could be your safe place, too. Amen for that. It's always so beautiful when we can be taught by our young people, isn't it? Alright, well good morning everybody. We good out there in terms of volume and such? Alright, fantastic. I want to start out by saying this. God is good. And all the time. There you go. Hold on to that. We're gonna repeat it probably a couple times more. But good morning, everybody. So I'm so excited to have the opportunity to be here to carry God's word. Alright, I want to make sure that I emphasize that that at the onset of this that in preparing for today and the challenge that was put before me, this was a tough message because it speaks right to the heart. And so before I jump in, I just want to ask that all of you open your hearts to the words that God has today. And if something should hit you in some type of way, pay attention to that. Because what that is, is that's God penetrating you with something he has to say to you. And so today, please don't hear me speaking. Hear God speaking. A long time ago, I made I let God know I want to be a vessel for him. And I'll be doggone if he didn't say, okay, you got it coming, buddy. So this is me today being God's vessel for all of you. Amen? Amen. To the assurity that God is good and all the time. Amen, folks. So today we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to pick up on the series. We're going to talk about the relationships with the church as one body in Christ. So I want to start out today with a couple of definitions for you in terms of what constitutes the church. Now in the Oxford Dictionary, we define the church as a building used for public Christian worship. Okay, Underlying the word building. In the biblical definition as I prepared for today, it's much different. The definition according to the Bible is people who follow Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God. So in nowhere in the biblical definition is it about a building. It is about the people. And understand the definition of that today because that's what we're going to central focus on. savvy as my children. It is clear one definition, right, focuses more on the individual aspects of the idea of church and while the other centers more on the relational aspect of church. And so today we're really going to pinpoint in on this side of relationship within church. And what I want to do today is I want to explore some ideas of what keeps the church, as we know it in the more conventional sense today, from being a place that allows all to come 
and experience authentic, unifying relationship with others. And then also author some ideas on how the church can grow closer to what the Bible describes and defines to be the church. So I don't know exactly where all this is going to go, but I'm just going to tell you, buckle up. <laughs> all right? So here we go. So to start with, it's important to acknowledge the purpose of the church is about inclusivity. Everybody say inclusivity. With everyone who is the body and the family of Christ. All right? And I know we've had several different types of opportunities from Teshna to talk about inclusivity. So that's what we're going to pinpoint in on today, the inclusivity of the church. However, however, due to social norms that dictate far too often the church to unfortunately become a place of exclusion to people. So this morning I would like to offer a couple of examples of why. Why I believe that there is a spirit and in some respects a reality of this idea of separation instead of that intentional inclusion and of coming together. So the first I want to talk about is separation due to labels, all right? And the, place, and the labels that are placed on people and the behaviors that follow those labels. All right, we live in a world that is dictated by labels. And even more so in the country that we live in, I would say there's an overabundance of a need for labels. Last week, Samuel talked about names, right? the importance of your name. And in thinking about that in relationship to today, it's amazing how often we bypass names and go to labels to describe other people. I am guilty, and I think probably a lot of us are sometimes when it comes to people, that I may meet them, that I may get to know their name, but I may struggle until I find a way to give them a label. And then all of a sudden, the tension tends to cease because now I have in my mind created a label, a box for someone rather than acknowledging just as who they are. So John 4 is a beautiful story and an illustration of just where labels come in. John 4 is the story where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. All right, and I would encourage you at some point in time, read that whole chapter because there's such an abundance of richness and beauty. But today I want to really clue in on verse 1 through 9. So here we go. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judah and went back to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to the town of Samaria, a town in Samaria called Sychar. And near a plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Hold on to that for just a second. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down at the well. And it was about noon in the afternoon in the day. And when a Samaritan woman then came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You ready for this? You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me to drink? So I'm going to stop right there for a second, all right? And I want to clue in on verse 9. The first thing this woman did in acknowledging Jesus, who asked her for a drink, was to do what? Acknowledge their labels, right? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And understanding in the dynamic of that time, the Jews and the Samaritans 
didn't speak. They were separated. Although, interesting, digging into this, they were unified. You know why? Because they both came from the lineage of Jacob. The well was both of theirs by birth. But this became a place of separation and acknowledged separation at that moment in time. Did Jesus know his label? Yeah. Did he know she was a Samaritan? Yes. Was this woman well aware of the rules that existed in the time that kept them separated? Absolutely. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said it. But there was something in that substantive piece enough that acknowledged, you know what, labels even then existed. And we have to be dictated by whatever those labels may be, the rules that come with them. You're not supposed to talk to me. I'm not supposed to talk to you. How can you ask me for a drink when you're a Jew and you know the rules as well? Right? Are you seeing where I'm going with this? You see where God's trying to speak in this? That too often it's little petty things that can create the separation that doesn't allow us the opportunity to live into one body in Christ. As I was preparing for this, I came across the quote that happened in 1960 by Dr. King. And it was an interesting quote to me enough where I felt like, you know what, I need to say this this morning. And in 1960, Dr. King was credited by saying this, 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Amen? Believe that, buy that. Too often that is a reality in our society. That the time at which we're supposed to be together is the most segregated time of our entire week. Number two, separation due to racial difference and the rules that we have to live by. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in what we would call a black church. Okay? And the things that happened in that church dictated why society would call it a black church. The music, the way people dressed. I remember my grandfather telling me there's no way you will ever wear jeans in church. You will wear your best, and you know why? Because you're going to God's house. And if you can't give God your best, shame on you, right? It was the, the impression of things, the message. The funny thing, and I, I laugh at sometimes comedians who talk about the difference between black church and white church being this. In black church, kids bring their homework because you're going to be there all day long, right? You got Sunday school, regular service, pastor appreciation service, the guest church coming in, right? So those things dictate the idea of black church as opposed to white church, right? That you already know, we're going to be there 90 minutes. We're going to get in, sing some songs. There's going to be a service at 1230. We're out, right? To the point, I'm a Bears fan, and I'm a Bears fan not because I wanted to be, but it was because of the fact that I couldn't get home in time to watch a Lions game. <laughs> All right, so... The notion being that, you know what, there's just that, that call of separation that existed and, and dictates that idea. So the interesting thing to me is there's a parallel in a conversation in Galatians 2 between Paul and Peter. When you talk about now the acceptance of the Gentiles into the church, right, the race of Gentiles as opposed to the Jews. And in verse 15 and 16, Paul told Peter, we who are Jews by birth, and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, 
but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have to put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And understanding that dynamic that, you know what, race doesn't matter. Whatever dictated rules come doesn't matter. We all have to be justified by one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. That is it alone. That is the foundation of what? The church. The church being the body, the church not being a building. Not somewhere where people can come or can be separated based on who they are. We can no longer do that. We have got to be unified. That's what he's telling us. And even in Genesis 1, God's own words, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So from the very beginning, we were one. We have done this thing to now separate ourselves but it's not who we truly are as a church, as a body. We were unified from the beginning, and I would dare say we can't get things right until we get back to that unification. Number three, separation due to denominational differences and how that prevails over having faith as well. Now, by show of hands, who among you has ever been asked the question by somebody, where do you go to church? What's your religious belief, right? Everybody. And I hazard this to say, you know what, that there's probably two reasons why somebody may ask that. Number one, they have a sincere curiosity. They just want to know. So I'm not saying this to demonize people. What I'm saying is that there are some that just want to know, what church do you go to? They're curious. Maybe that's part of their extension of wanting to create a relationship. But number two, there are also those who will ask that question to either judge or discern if someone can be considered acceptable within a community and if you conform to our way of being or if someone may be a little bit suspect right sometimes happens maybe when you're new in a community or you haven't been there as well so I think you have to open your mind and your heart maybe more your heart to what it is that somebody's asking and if we're doing that one just also know our own heart in it as well that those sometimes are questions that can hurt right not necessarily open the door to opportunity I think it's interesting or at least it's interesting to me that in preparing for this the thing that I learned is that not once in Jesus's time in his ministry did he ever use the term religion or refer to other denominations now why did he do that I like to think that you know what in preparing not just for the moment in time he was in ministry, but certainly for the future. He was sending a message, and the message is very clear that too often this idea of religion or denominational separation is used by people to, number one, either commit atrocities or to justify corruption towards others. We use it as a weapon rather than an opportunity as well so it's something that I think is a message we also have to be very careful of I appreciate the, the opportunity and, and listening to people talk about this place you either use the term non-denominational hopefully which diffuses everything or you don't say you know what it isn't about religion it's about Jesus and that's where we come together it's because it's about Jesus So here's a question that I've got. How do we align or realign our thinking to what the church is and represents and to orient ourselves more closely to how the Bible describes the church to be? 
about the relationship with God and the relationship with others as one body. And considering this, I will refer you to Ephesians chapter 4. This is where Paul, to me, provides such a rich and beautiful abundance of examples of how we can every day do our own work and how we can hold each other accountable to representing the church in the relationship with each other here on earth. So number one, here's what we can do. We can lean into the opportunity to experience church as a community and a gathering of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, Paul refers to it as this way. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the body of peace. We can lean into that as an opportunity for us, as individuals and as a collective group, to share those gifts of humility, of gentleness, of peace, of patience, and be able to bear one another in love. There's nothing better than when I'm hurting for somebody to be able to come to me and say, what's wrong? And to come at me in love and sincerity, and not just as the typical greeting of, you doing all right? Right? Because when you do that now, what are you inviting? Relationship. You're inviting that sense of church. And one other opportunity that we have within that collective body, in Proverbs 27, 17, which is one of my favorite verses, is this. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. We come here to get better together. Not to leave each other out there and just say, well, good luck. Right? So if we honestly believe that a part of our responsibility is to sharpen each other, to be our very best, to hold each other accountable, then we are the living example of what the church is supposed to be. Number two, we can choose to engage in and with the church meaning that the work and the commission of the collective body of Christ with our whole authentic selves is what we bring to the table. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6 say this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to be one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is all and through all, and in all. So what does that mean? Well, Hannah just talked about one opportunity with the food pantry, right? That is an example of something that isn't about a building. It is about us living into the work that we have been commissioned to do. And there are many other examples of those things that occur within this church. When I think about my own journey when, we, when my wife and I first started here uh, years ago, <laughs> Right, we started out with maybe working in the back ushering. And we worked through a couple other things and then somebody figured out, hey, you guys work with kids. Why don't you come up to see our, you know, work with the kids church? And so since that time, I think we've been working with the kids church for 20 years, our whole time that we've been here. But it's another example of how we live into and how we engage with the church body. Some people do it internally, sometimes we have things they do externally. It doesn't matter. What you do is a matter of you do something, all right? Just do something. Don't sit lazy by and expect other people to do it for you. Guess what? You're signing a blank check, folks. You think that's the way to do it, all right? You have to engage in the church in order for the church to come alive and to exist. 
Number three, learn to enjoy the beauty that comes from being together in harmony. Can I say that again? Learn to enjoy the beauty. I love using that word. It feels like, man, some really good, man, something on your tongue after you eat it, right? The beauty of it, that, the essence of it. Learn to really enjoy that part. In, chapter, in verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians 4, Paul puts it this way. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher to all in heaven in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people to works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all, we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What I appreciate is that, you know what, in that Paul labeled the different positions and the different roles and the different responsibilities that have been commissioned. He called them the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. All right? That's fully encompassing of the whole body. Right? And what he said is that God commissioned all these things on purpose because I need to have people play multiple roles. And when they all come together, when they all come together in one, there is a tremendous beauty that can exist. There is a fulfillment that does exist, right? So here's a word that I like to use. So you can substitute beauty for this one if you choose. Harmony. So for those of you that may not necessarily be musically inclined, what does harmony look like? Has anybody ever heard of the group Earth, Wind, and Fire? Oh, I guess so. Has anybody ever heard of the group Take Six? I may have just dated myself. But nonetheless, here's what I can tell you about those groups and why it is that I love them. Because the harmony. So many different voices coming together in an unbelievable richness that exists that is so appealing not only to the ears, but to the soul. When I'm down, when I have a bad day at work and I'm driving home from work, I'm listening to some earth, wind, and fire. Man, everything just disappeared, right? Harmony, that unifying piece, it's all these tangential pieces coming together, all right? And so guess what? In this verse, Paul illustrates how we can do it. Provided, provided you are willing to accept what it is that God has commissioned you to do, to play your part, to play your role in that harmony. So guess what, folks? God is good and all the time. There you go. So here's what I'd like to at least conclude our time with and just some thoughts and ideas on lessons from today. So please take a few moments to consider what are the opportunities that we have in front of us to serve the church, not simply as the world would define it as a building, but also leaning into what the Bible defines the church to actually be, which is the body of Christ. I want to share a quote before I share those ways with you that means so much to me. And it's this. And it actually really is an accountability measure every single day. Here's the quote. The kingdom of God is in you. Can you say that with me? The kingdom of God is in you. You carry this thing every single day, which by default tells you it's not about a building. It's not about wood. 
It's not about stones. It's about you. You are the body. You are the church. The kingdom is in you. So how can we be the embodiment of Christ? How can we exemplify this through opportunities? Number one, be curious. Embrace people. Embrace the opportunity to get curious and to see what it's about. First of all, start with you. Let me be curious about how I embody that. If somebody's telling me the kingdom of God is in me, I got to get curious. What does that mean? What does that look like? What's the bar of expectation that's upon me? And then get curious about other people. Let them know that they matter. Engage with them. Support them. Be one with them. As soon as they walk through the door, in love, right? Number two, actively seek relationships as a goal. If you're doing something actively, you cannot be passive about it. Because if you're doing something actively, that means I have a passion for what it is. And if relationships is what you have a passion for, then you have a passion for extending God's kingdom here on earth. You have a passion for the church being something more than just a place we come and gather every Sunday morning. You have a passion for it to be lived out presently. So actively seek relationships as a goal. Number three, avoid complacency and embrace difference. The complacency side settles in all of us, all right? I remember being a young person. I went to a Baptist school for a couple of years, and I remember having a teacher talk about being a lukewarm Christian, right? And used to talk about, you got to be hot or you're cold, that you can't be lukewarm. This idea of complacency just means that every, I just let everything go and whatever happens, happens, and, you know, God's going to take care of it. Well, guess what? Faith without works is dead, people, <laughs> right? So we can't be lukewarm. We can't be complacent. If we actually now bend into what it is that we were instructed to do when we received this commission, we cannot and will not ever be complacent. Embracing difference, that's important. Not getting stuck in the idea, that chasm of black church, white church, right? That we all are one church, and we celebrate difference. We acknowledge it, but it is the harmony that we need in order to exist as that church. Number four, challenge assumptions. Okay, all of us come in with these built assumptions, right? They come in whatever it may be and typically those assumptions lead us to not want to be a part of something instead of pulling us or leaning into it so challenge your assumptions challenge the things that you've been taught your whole life ask the question why more often than just once dig in to the onion peel the layers back until you get to the root that's what we need to do when we challenge assumptions and then lastly and probably most importantly do your personal work every day. If it is to be, it's up to who? <laughs> right? If I want this church, this body of Christ, to exist here on earth, and I want my contribution to matter, it has to start with me. It can't start with you. And me pointing the fingers and saying, you know what, because you're not doing it, I'm not doing it. I don't feel like I have to do it. No, this is about us every single day doing our work. When does it start? From the time you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and asking that question, how can I be a vessel today? How can I be a conduit today? And then you know what? When you lay your head down to rest, the words out of your mouth of thank you, Lord, for what you gave me today.
Thank you for the lessons that you taught me today. Lord, help me be better tomorrow than I was today. That's how you do your work. And when you do your work, it will have a ripple effect on other people. And why? Because you will then become, you ready for this? An influencer on other people. All right? Because whatever you exude can't help but be seen, cannot help but be recognized. And it will either repel people who aren't ready for it or it's going to draw people in who are ready. So be the vessel. Do your work every day. Be curious. Stand strong in your faith, folks. All right? And number four, and lastly, here's what I'm going to leave you with. Let us commit to being the church that the Bible has instructed us to be. Let us not move forward with just being satisfied of this place being a building alone. Let us be the body of Christ in every way and every day. And if we do that, then we won't really realize and understand why God is good and all the time. Amen. Thank you, folks, for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. So let's sing this chorus one time together before Hannah comes up. And it just really will seal the words that uh, Matt said to us today. such a holistic meal today. Um, we're so grateful. I was thinking as you were talking that um, I'm just so grateful in getting to know you that this message isn't just words, um, it's your life, right? And the encouragement is to see someone living these things and offering these things in relationship. And so um, I just want to bless you that the kingdom of God is in you, as Matt said. And I want you to sit with the feeling of how that feels to know that the kingdom of God is in as he preached to the woman at the well, that's what Jesus just keeps telling her. <laughs> She's like, no, but I'm a Samaritan. No, but I, I'm divorced. No, no, no. And he says, the kingdom of God is in you. And so would you feel that and receive that gift that Matt gave us today and go and live in the fullness of the kingdom of God that has already been built in you. And people respond. Relationships come. God opens our eyes as we see the kingdom of God in us. The kingdom of God grows out there. So have a great week. We love you, and we will see you next week.